0: Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Graham Womack. Graham is a frequent contributor to the Sporting News, and he runs his own site, Baseball Past and Present. You can give him a follow on Twitter at GrahamDude. Graham, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today.
1: Yeah, Ross, thanks so much for having me on this evening. Well, Graham, I ask everyone
0: this right at the top. Tell me what initially got you into baseball in the first place.
1: Man, that's a great question. Um, It's it's a few things. My... uh so my dad uh, played when he was a kid and uh, you know, gave me, gave me cards when I, was, uh, when I was maybe about three or four for Christmas. And then around the corner, I, uh, when I was growing up at our first house, I had a good friend named Devin and his, uh, his mom, Nancy, was this huge Giants fan. And so you know, this is late 80s, early 90s. So we got into like Will Clark, Matt Williams, Kevin Mitchell, Brett Butler when he was on the Giants. I mean, I, I still get totally nostalgic for those guys. But then really the big thing that got me into baseball history in particular, because that, that's really my thing. You can you can ask me who won the World Series any year. I mean, I, I'm a repository of esoteric facts. But uh, when I was about eight, my grandpa gave me this 567-page book of baseball history and trivia, and I, I read the entire thing. It took like three months. Um, but I read it, and I memorized a lot of it, and it just gave me this base of knowledge that... I just really wanted to grow from it, you know, even at an early age. And it's funny because every once in a while, you know, I'll, I'll meet kids like 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 I was. And it's it's we're few and far between. But it's it's always it's always fun to see. Where did the interest specifically in the Hall of Fame come about? You know, I started my website about seven years ago. And one of the first posts that I did I just needed something to write about, and so I, I ripped off a list of who I thought were the ten best players not in the Hall of Fame. And it's it's funny because I've, I've since I've had people vote four times on the fifty best players not in, and then and then I also had people vote for sporting news just, this, the, just about six months ago on the the twenty five best players not in. But when I did this ten best list initially, like you know, I did it in the course of like an hour. I didn't do any kind of research. It was just basically ten players I could think of. I mean, I was. I think I got it right up top. You know, it was like Bly Levin wasn't in at the time, and I, I I think he was a well-deserving selection. But uh, other than that, it was just kind of whoever I could think of, you know, like Dwight Gooden and Stan Hack and Hal Chase, uh, you know, a lot of guys I probably wouldn't have on, on my list today. But that list in particular did really, really well. Dale Murphy was one of the guys who I chose, and he... He, uh, this, this Mor- so Dale Murphy's Mormon, so this Mormon blog picked up on it and it got all this traffic and then wound up doing really well in the search engines. And so I just realized that for whatever reason, people are always really, really interested in the Hall of Fame. Um, I get, you know I, I get regular readership throughout the year on it. And then this time of year, it really spikes because of the induction.
0: Yeah, I've always had an interest in the Hall of Fame stuff, too. I voted on your projects, and you know, most of the stuff I do on my site outside of the podcast is Hall of Fame-related. And I can trace it back to, you know, I grew up in Boston, and the first game I can remember going to was versus the Angels. This was in the mid-'80s, and Reggie Jackson was there for the Angels. And all anyone was talking about around me was future Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer. It, was, it seemed like such a cool... that this player and like reggie had his issues off the field and he wasn't the most liked player but this was in boston remember and everyone's like oh yeah he's going to the hall of fame and i just remember being like oh this is this is supposed to be a collection of the best players and everybody knows when you're one of those guys and i just sort of love that concept and i think i've been fascinated by it ever since
1: Oh, absolutely. I remember too, like when I was a kid, when I was like, you know, six, seven, eight, I remember my dad used to, he had a couple of years where he clipped out the stats for the guys who were getting in. I think like one year was like Jim Palmer and and Joe Morgan. And then the next year was, was like Fergie Jenkins and Gaylord Perry. And I should remember the third one off the top of my head. I, I, I can only think of those two guys. The concept of what a Hall of Famer is, or what the Hall of Fame should be,
0: means different things to different people. What do you think the ideal Hall of Fame is?
1: That's a that's a great question. Um, so first thing I'll say is I think a lot of people like kind of get into this idea of, of the Hall of Fame as sort of a zero sum game that it has to be one thing in particular. I'm I'm of the mind that you could be more of I don't know if it's the right word, but I want to say a pluralist, where you know it's like I like sabermetrics, so you have guys. Who are who rate outstandingly by sabermetrics? Who should really be in? You know, guys like Bobby Gritch and Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell. I mean, those guys are all slam dunk, obvious selections to me by by sabermetrics. I think, you know, I've made a case before on sporting or uh, you know, at sporting news that you know if Bobby Gritch had played in a hitter's park. I mean, he would be the second best OPS for for a second baseman in baseball history. I mean, behind only Rogers Hornsby. It's like he got shafted by by playing at Angel Stadium and and uh, you know Memorial Stadium, I want to say, and in, in Baltimore. I mean, the two two tough you know parks for hitters to hit in. But you know, that being said, I I don't think the, the Hall of Fame should just be about stats. I mean, you know, it's a cliche, but you know, my friend, you know Adam Durowski, he talks about you know, hey, you know, it, it's not the Hall of Stats. But then Adam has this wonderful site, Stats dot com, where he says, hey, what if it was? But you know, moving on from that, I mean. I'm okay with guys who who also don't have great stats, you know, being in there. Um, You know, when I say great stats, I mean by sabermetrics, you know, guys like Jack Morris and Dale Murphy. um, I don't have too big of an issue with them being in. I, I think there are other reasons that, you know, you could you know, you you could you could justify their selections. I know with Morris, a lot of it is myth. I mean, you know, he didn't single handedly win game seven of the 91 World Series. You know, he happened to play on one of the best teams of the 1980s that is severely underrated. I mean, Trammell, Lou Whitaker, Chet Lemon, Kirk Gibson, Daryl Evans. That 84 Tigers team was stacked. But, I mean, that being said, I mean, I'm I'm okay with the Hall of Fame meaning slightly different things to different people, you know. If you want the guys who are more narrative picks, I'm okay with that. If you want guys who are strictly sabermetrics picks, and then if you want guys who are sort of a hybrid, um, you know, it's... Um, there are going to be certain guys who are sort of bubble guys by sabermetrics, but, you know, then you, you add in sort of, you know, they're kind of extra intangibles and, you know, their narrative and it gets them in. You know, guys, I don't know, like Gil Hodges maybe. So you're a big hall guy, is that fair to say? I think so, yeah. It's funny, you know, um, I did, um, I, I forget a few years ago, Adam Adam had a, a bunch of people do their personal halls of fame. Did you Did you do one of those as well? Yep. Okay, yeah, so like it was funny when I when I went and I, and I, and I did that i I wound up just doing an initial kind of class because I think I only got like maybe 200 or 250 guys and the Hall of Fame now is 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 up to well over 300 if you count executives and umpires and whatnot. so I mean I, I believe I'm a I'm a big Hall of fame guy, but I wouldn't have I wouldn't have too much of a problem with you know, A lot of guys who are in there right now not being in anymore, you know, a lot of the guys who got selected in the 70s, like Jim Bottomley and, uh, you know, uh, Chick uh, guys like that, Uh, you know, the Veterans Committee kind of railroaded in during the 70s. I would have no problem if guys like them weren't in.
0: Yeah, and I think the whole, I think it's 217, is that what they're at in terms of players for their major league career? I don't have any problem with that size. It's just that I think there are about 40 guys in who shouldn't be and 40 guys on the outside who should be. But the actual size doesn't bother me. The the concept of a small Hall of Fame sort of bothers me because it doesn't exist
1: in any sport. And if there were only 100 guys in the Hall of Fame, it would be out of business. Absolutely. I mean, um, the concept of a small Hall of Fame, I mean, I I think in baseball that really died a long time ago. I mean, you know... um, you have, you know, yeah, you, you have, you have, I think, yeah, if you count Negro leaguers, it's like 240 something. Um, and yeah, you have another 50 or a hundred guys who aren't in, but probably could be in tomorrow if they just got their ticket stamped, you know, or, or what have you. I mean, there, there are deserving guys outside of it and I have no problem really with them being in. I, I understand the hall of fame probably doesn't want them all in at once because you don't want to dilute the honor, but you know, um, I think I look at, like, their rule changes that they're doing, you know, and the rule change that they did last weekend to, you know, kind of revise the era committees and, you know, make it that guys no longer have a one-year waiting period after they fall off the writer's ballot. To me, the Hall of Fame is trying to speed up, you know, inductions of kind of era committee guys just a little bit. You know, not so much that it's a huge glut of guys, but, you know, you want to keep guys coming through the doors. Yeah. And let's talk about that. This past weekend
0: was induction weekend. It's obviously their biggest weekend of the year. They also announced some changes to the veterans committee structure. They basically are giving modern players more of a chance, which I think is crucial and important for them as you don't want to just have a baseball museum that's full of players from the 1920s. They are going to look at modern players basically every two or three years and segregation era players who were in a once every three year cycle will now only be looked at once every 10. And I think that's important. I think it's important that they can say Look, there's only so many times we can look at, you know, Wes Farrell. Even though Wes Farrell's a guy I think is deserving and should be in, he's been picked over so many times at this point. Perhaps it's better suited for them to focus on players who played in the '70s and '80s.
1: Yeah, I was I was encouraged by those rule changes. There there was a lot of good stuff there. I I think focusing on more recent players is 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 a good idea. I. You know, I was thrilled that they they opened the door back up to Negro Leaguers, and then I I also I like that they took away the one year waiting period because I know um, it gets Alan Trammell on the ballot, and like I said, I mean he's he's somebody to me who I really think should be in. I'd offer one word of caution though about the the rules changes, and I it's funny I, I wrote about this today for my sporting news column, and I I, I actually forgot to get this bid in because I just sort of offered an over overarching kind of analysis of the rule changes, but. One word of caution that I would offer is that kind of in late fifties, early sixties was you know another time that they they revised the rules to start getting more guys in. They the the Veterans Committee had been set up so that it voted every other year, and then in nineteen sixty nobody got voted in for the writers or the veterans. They had an induction weekend that was I think they just played the Hall of Fame game and that was a wrap. But the other thing that they did was that they they decided that weekend that they would go back to voting you know, every single year. And so 1961 through 1964, there were a number of great selections, uh, particularly a lot of really good 19th century players like Billy Hamilton and Pud Galvin. Galvin was actually 65. But what also wound up happening though was as the decade wore on, getting in late 60s, early 70s, then you get some of just the absolute worst uh, selections and I know, like, 1971 is one of the most notorious. Uh, the Veterans Committee, I think, got permission to induct, like, either four or six guys. I, I know, I think, I want to say a total of, like, seven guys got in overall that year. But they got permission to induct these extra guys, uh, specifically so they could clear this backlog of old-timers. And instead, like, Rube Markard got in that year. Harry Hooper got in that year. I want to say Chicafi was that year. I mean, it was just... When you loosen the rules, generally, the guys who should be getting in, it is easier for them to get in. But then you are going to get some really random selections. I mean, the Veterans Committee in and of itself, I mean, it's a very small group. That much hasn't changed about it. I mean, these era committees are still small. I think it's like 12 or 16 guys. When you get that – yeah, when you get that small of a sample size of a committee, you are going to get some serious randomness occasionally. I – I'm curious to see who it's going to be, but I would predict in the next five or ten years, you know, give or take, I think we're going to see somebody like a Dennis Martinez or I don't know, just somebody completely random that nobody is talking about right now and who when this person gets in, people are going to be like, well, how the heck did this happen? And it'll it's because historically this has happened before. Absolutely. And I don't think we're going to see mistakes along
0: the lines of Tommy McCarthy or Lloyd Wayner. I don't think that's going to happen. But a guy who I think has a really good chance with the Veterans Committee, knowing how they operate, is someone like Don Mattingly. And Don Mattingly was really good for four years. He lasted on the writer's ballot for his whole duration, and then injuries took a hold of him. And by sabermetric standards, he's about half what you want a first baseman to be. And I still think he's got a really good chance of getting in. And it makes sense. I mean, every Hall of Fame has four types of players. When you think about there's the all-time greats, the players who are like considered the best ever to play their position or play the game there are the obvious hall of famers who are not quite on that level but they're right below there's borderline guys and then there's mistakes and right now a lot of the mistakes are players from the 1920s and the 1930s because of that uh pressure to put more players in in the 60s and the 70s we're going to start to see more
1: mistakes of modern players yeah no i'm i'm, I'm absolutely right there with you and yeah like i I don't think there will there will be a ton of them. I and mean, yeah, I don't think it'll ever be on the level of like a Tommy McCarthy. I mean, I think it's just stats are so much more readily accessible. And I know I, I talked to, I've, I've been meaning to write about this forever, um, uh, but I, I had a long conversation with somebody who was on the expansion era committee a couple of years ago. And, you know, this person was telling me, that it's like, you know, hey, when we meet, we actually do look at baseball reference. We look at the similarity scores, you know, stuff like that. Metrics that, by the way, I think are a little out of date, like I know similarity scores, I don't think they have ballpark factors uh, worked into them. So I I don't place a ton of stock in them. I, you know, I tend to I tend to place more stock in like Jay Jaff's Jaws system and, you know, Adam's uh, Hall rating system like those to me are two of the best. But I guess my point with all this is just that, you know, there's a lot more data that's that's readily accessible. And, you know, I think McCarthy probably got in just for just kind of a glorious lack of, you know, statistical availability. I don't think we'll see that again. But, yeah, we're going to – we will see some mistakes. And, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it could be somebody like Brett Butler. I mean, you know, I remember Bill James uh, predicted in Politics of Glory in 94 that he would be selected. So, yeah, no, it'll it'll be interesting. You
0: recently did a piece on the 25 worst selections ever to the Hall of Fame. Let's go over some of that. We'll start at number 10. And this is part of where the confusion comes with some with the Hall of Fame. Number 10, you have Candy Cummings. Cummings was selected by the Old Timers Committee. He's credited, or at least was at the time, with having invented the curveball. And this is where it's misleading a little bit and where some of the Hall stuff gets confusing. Cummings is one it's debatable whether or not he invented the curveball there's a lot of evidence that suggests he did not and two he, even though he was a player he's not in the hall of fame as a player he's in the hall of fame as a pioneer because of the curveball
1: yeah i mean that that was the thing i mean a lot of the kind of late 1930s research i mean i it, it wasn't the time to be making pronouncements about you know um you know, who invented the curveball or who invented other stuff. I know McCarthy got in on the I think he got in on the basis of having been thought to maybe have invented the hit and run play. Um, but but yeah, I mean, Candy Cummings, is the kind of guy that's like, seriously, he's in the Hall of Fame. Well, OK.
0: <laughs> Number nine on your list is Chick Hafey. Chick Hafe was, again, put it in 1971.
1: You mentioned him a little bit earlier. Why doesn't Chick belong? I mean, if, if you if you adjust his stats for the era, I mean he's really nothing special. I you know, I, I don't have his OPS plus in front of me, but I, I wanna say it's like somewhere in the one thirties, which, you know, it, it suggests that he was a good hitter, but I mean there's a lot of other guys in, in the recent era who, who had OPS pluses in the one thirties, uh who aren't in. I mean quite a few. I mean there was really nothing hugely special about what he did, aside from the fact that I think he wore he wore glasses, uh but so did a lot of players who aren't. (laughs) And Carlos Delgado, I think, has an OPS plus of 140. He got bounced his first year on the ballot. Oh, Delgado is really underrated. I mean, he's one of those guys who he maybe shouldn't have gotten in but he should have gotten more than he should have been better than a one and done i mean you know he he was he was better than that and that's where it's sort of like if you just look at his raw
0: numbers there's really no one that has numbers like that that's not in but you have to neutralize them and factor in the steroid error and everything else but still i was a little surprised that he got bounced so quickly number
1: eight on your list is noted racist tom yaki oh yeah i mean it's you know, I, I, I do not understand why somebody like him is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he he had chances to sign Jackie Robinson and Willie Mays. Passed on those. Instead, I want to say, I think he was either the Red Sox were either the last or the second to last team in the big leagues to, to integrate. I think they were the last. Um, Pumpsy Green, like 1959, I want to say. It's just just unbelievable. Um, you know, Yaki was the owner for over 40 years. You know, it was stuff like that. Um, are part of the big reason that the Red Sox didn't win a World Series for 86 years, you know.
0: Next on your list is Ross Youngs, who was an outfielder for the New York Giants in the teens and the 20s. He played under John McGraw. A lot of his guys ended up getting in. There seems to be a connection with these guys who went in the 70s from the Veterans Committee, these old timers who went in to New York and to St. Louis.
1: You know, you got to figure the sporting news was, was, was headquartered in St. Louis, I want to say, in those years. And then, you know, New York's also important. So you had this sort of St. Louis and New York kind of I don't know what the right word is for it exactly, but a, a lot of the worst selections were either Giants or 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 Cardinals in the you know in the 70s and yeah, Youngs was definitely one of them. He was a he was an outfielder who was one of John McGraw's two favorite players, uh you know, died uh died young um of I want to say bright's disease. He was like 30. Um, again, kind of like a chick you press impressive numbers, but if you adjust them for era, there's really nothing all that special, especially with such a short career. Number six is a guy who perhaps
0: belongs in the nickname Hall of Fame, High Pockets Kelly, but Kelly falls short of Hall of Fame standards almost across the board. Tell me about Kelly and why, why
1: he's not higher on the list. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I want to say in the in the Bill James, uh, the new Bill James historical abstract, he gets into talking about how if you adjust for era or no uh, raw stats, um, uh, Bob Watson and High Pockets Kelly like rate identically. And then, of course, High Pockets Kelly was a 30s guy. Bob Watson was, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, played in, you know, what Brian Kenny would call a second dead ball era. So, like, if you adjust his stats for error, like, Bob Watson was way better. So, it's funny, actually. I, I went to my first Sabre conference a few years ago. I I went to the one in Houston, and a bunch of old Astros were there, including Bob Watson. So, actually, I had a chance to talk to him, and I told him, you know, about that. And, he yeah, he got a kick out of the name High Pockets Kelly, but he had uh, he he'd never actually never heard of him or anything. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Kelly is another one of those guys where it's just like, how the heck did this guy get in? I mean – 1930s, 295 hitter lifetime. When he was selected, like Frankie Frisch raved about his defense, but that is such a sub- subjective way to put a guy in the Hall of Fame. I mean,
0: especially a first baseman from the
1: 1920s. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, it's one thing if you're talking about Bill Mazeroski, like I, I actually left Bill Mazeroski off my, my 25 worst list. And by Saber Metrics, Mazeroski is one of the absolute worst Hall of Famers, but. You know, to me, the jury's still out a teeny bit on defensive metrics for, you know, for for older players before, you know, before, um, what was it, before play-by-play kind of software, um, you know, sort of tracked, uh, you know, the location of all hits, which I want to say that was like 2002, 2003. But somebody like Kelly, it's just like, I, I, I can't even defend it that way. I was, wondering, I was going to ask you
0: about Masarowski because he would have definitely made my list of this nature. And the interesting thing about Mazeroski is not only, I mean, does he fall well below standards offensively, by sabermetric standards, whatever you really want to look at. I know the defense was exceptional. His election caused chaos. His election caused such a backlash with the Hall of Fame. People were screaming that they're watering down the standards and everything else. That's when they changed their whole veterans committee structure.
1: And they actually haven't put in a living player since his election caused a huge backlash. I mean, I don't I don't think players have been voted on every year from their era since then. I mean, I know they switched immediately to an every other year structure and then I know, yeah, and then 2010 they they had the era committee which I mean, made it so that they voted every year but they were rotating the eras that they voted. I mean, yeah, you really Bell Mazeroski made it a lot harder for the Ron Santos of the world, like to get into the Hall of Fame and the Dick Allens and the Tony Olivas and the Jim Cots. Yeah. And we saw this actually a few years ago. There's a lot of uh, the
0: veterans committees have 16 people on them, but they're only allowed to vote for four. So they have to be careful with putting too many qualified people on the ballot as well. Because I think a few years ago we saw Dick Allen and uh, Louis Tiant, and uh, there were a bunch of guys from that era. Maybe Minnie Minoso, I think, was a part of that group, Tony Oliva. There were a bunch of guys that were deserving and they could make a reasonable case for, and none of them got in because it was so divided. So you have to make sure not only do you get on the ballot that you're in front of the Veterans Committee, but you are the only one to would be one or two of qualified people on it.
1: Oh, absolutely. I know. uh, Yeah, I I think the last time Allen and Oliva went and, you know, were on the ballot, I think the time you're talking about, I think they each fell a vote short. And then Jim Cott was was pretty close behind them. And then I know Minoso was so sad because he was still alive at the time and, you know, was alive, could have enjoyed the honor. And instead, he passed away a few months later. And Minoso, it's so sad. I mean, because not only was he one of the best outfielders of the 1950s, but, you know, if if not for segregation, his career would have started probably a few years sooner, maybe he had a totally different trajectory. Um, you know, we'll, we'll never know with somebody like him.
0: Yeah, it's a shame that th- that career wasn't able to be put in context correctly. He's truly one of the all-time greats. Number five on your list is Rube McQuard, another one of the infamous class of 1971. How did Rube get in?
1: Part of it was that he was, uh, that he was uh, one of the players interviewed for the glory of their times, which I consider the greatest baseball book ever. Uh, you know, it's a collection of oral histories with a uh, dead ball era greats. And he was in there and, you know, had some memorable stuff to say. Um, and then, you know, aside from that, um, it's hard to say what else got him in. Um, you know, obviously it was at a time that Frankie Frisch was, I want to say chairman of the veterans committee. I don't know if he and Mark Marquard were, wherever, uh, wherever, wherever teammates with the giants, but, you know, there might have been that kind of association. And then, you know, um, he was also – it's funny because I, I, I did some research about a, about a year ago where I went through – and I went through like 50 years of newspaper archives. And I basically tried to gather all the times that guys came under Veterans Committee consideration. And, you know, Mark, Mark Ward had, had a bunch of times that he was on the Veterans Committee radar going back, I want to say, to like 1953. So he was – he was a known name to them by 1971. Um, and it's hard to say. I mean, I think he had a long winning streak during his career. He had, had an interesting nickname. He was called the $11,000 Lemon because he sold for that much and he was initially a bust. Um, but it's hard to say overall what got him in.
0: Number four on your list is interesting. Alexander Cartwright, credited with inventing many of uh, the structures and the foundations of the game that we know. What is history getting wrong about Cartwright?
1: Oh I mean John Thorne has done outstanding uh, research uh, in, in the last last several years uh, you know just really kind of bringing into question Cartwright's historical legacy I mean yeah he he's credited with a lot of the kind of rule um, rule innovations like putting ninety feet between the between the bases but you know I want to say it's thought that like doc Adams uh, did that and you know um, Adams famously said, "toward the end of the life, toward the end of his life, you know, baseball had no father. It it just growed. Um, and I just I, I think it was so wrong of baseball in the, in the late 1930s to, you know, a to decree Abner. Well, I guess Abner Doubleday was earlier than that. He was like 1905, the Mills Commission. They proclaimed him, you know, baseball's you know baseball's founder at Doubleday Field, uh, or you know, in 1839, and then late 1930s, it comes out, hey, Alexander Cartwright might have been, you know, the real kind of father of baseball. Um, you know, he did these rule things. But yeah, John Thorne has done great research, just, you know, basically just really questioning and suggesting a whole bunch of other people who might be more deserving of the title than Cartwright. Number
0: three on your list is the player with the lowest wins above replacement in the Hall of Fame, Tommy McCarthy. How did
1: Tommy get in? Oh, man. Um, I think I think he was thought to have to have invented the uh, the hit-and-run play. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, Bill, Bill James brought this up, I want to say, in, like, Politics of Glory, where he kind of contrasted, you know, the old-timer selections in the 40s with, you know, the Negro League selections in the 70s, like, by the Negro League Committee. And he talked about how the Negro League Committee... You know, how it was so outstanding initially. It got like all the legends. It got Satchel Paige, Josh Gibson, Oscar Charleston, Buck Leonard, Cool Papa Bell, Martin DeHigo, uh, what is it, Pop Lloyd. I, I think those were those were pretty much the, the, the first spate of guys. Basically all inner circle Negro League legends. Uh, whereas the old timers committee got this sort of random kind of assortment and they got some very good players. They got like King Kelly... Rube Waddle, uh, Joe McGinnity, you know, got guys who who probably belonged. But then they got these sort of head scratchers, you know, none more notorious than than Tommy McCarthy. Um, and, yeah, the hit and run play is thought to be one thing. It's it's hard to say what else he might have done. Number two on your list is
0: Lloyd Weiner, little poison. He's the only player in the Hall of Fame with a negative wins above average. How did he get in?
1: Uh, he, he he had a he had a baseball legend for a brother. Um, you know, um, I, I had a friend joke to me a, a, w- a while back that you know the way to remember the Wayner brothers, you know, there's Paul Wayner was the good one, and then Lloyd Wayner. Lloyd Wayner. Lloyd stands for lousy Hall of Famer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and number one on your list, another person who benefited from having a famous brother, Rick Ferrell.
1: How did Rick Farrell get into the Hall of Fame in 1984? Oh, uh, this one's really sad. Um, basically. He had been, you know, he'd been a catcher in like the, you know, the 20s and 30s. Uh, I think he played through World War II because he was above draft age. You know, he he gets on to the ballot and for the Veterans Committee, you know, I'd never had never done anything with the writers, but he gets on the ballot for the Veterans Committee. And um, I think, uh, who was it? Uh, Jack O'Connell, who'd been like the Hall of Fame secretary, I want to say, told my, you know, told. Fellow baseball writer, David Lorella, a few years ago for Baseball Prospectus, he told him basically how, you know, (laughs) the story was that, like, this Tiger scout, I guess Farrell had been a Tiger scout as well or something, but this this guy with the Tigers calls around. It might have been their GM, but he calls around with guys on the Veterans Committee. He's like, hey, Rick Farrell's on the ballot. Just make sure he doesn't get shut out. Throw him a vote. And dude wound up getting enough votes to get in. And, yeah, his brother Wes is... The better player in the family, you know, one of the best pitchers of the 1930s, heck of a hitter as well. It had some attitude issues, but he would be a great selection. Whereas Rick, I mean, it's just, wow. I mean, it's statistically not quite the worst player in the Hall of Fame, but easily the worst selection ever. I mean, just an absolute literal mistake.
0: If you were in charge of the Hall of Fame or had the ability to make any changes to the Hall What would you do? What would you like to see different? What would you like to see changed about the Hall of Fame?
1: Well, a couple things. First, I would not take anyone out of the Hall of Fame. I think Bill James had the right idea a few years ago when he said, "Hey, if you ever do that, you cheapen the honor." So, you know, the guys who got in mistakenly, let them stay in. You know, um, they're there. It happened. But some things I would do. I would, I would fix Alexander Cartwright's plaque. I would have an inner circle for the Hall of Fame with regularly rotating members. I'd have like you know I'd have the inner circle be like fifty or seventy five players. Have it be a special room of the Hall of Fame. You'd actually you know call like the inner circle, and it could be a continually updating thing. You know, as better players got in, the lesser ones would get out, and it just did would be interesting to see maybe and maybe even open it up and have it voted on by like fans. Um, but, uh, you know, stuff like that. All in all, I think the Hall of Fame actually, I, I, I think they do a pretty good job generally. I, I think it's the best Hall of Fame in American sports, maybe if not worldwide sports, you know, definitely American sports by a long shot. I mean, who even cares about who's in the NFL Hall of Fame or the NBA Hall of Fame? I, I couldn't tell you the last five players selected either of those, whereas the baseball one, like, you know, I, I lose my cookies like five times a year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I do the I I follow all the Hall of Fames. I just love
0: the concept of it. I love the Baseball Hall of Fame, but there's also a part of me that's endlessly frustrated that the primary way players get in is via the sniff test, and the primary way players are kept out is via the sniff test. And I have spent so many hundreds of hours into this, and I have all these spreadsheets, and I'm still like, well. Do they pass the writer sniff test? That's how they're going to get in the Hall of Fame, and that's kind of a bummer that that's really what it comes down to.
1: Oh, I mean, you look at a guy like Vladimir Guerrero, who I mean, by sabermetrics, outstanding player, you know, deserving to me. Um, you know, if, if if people like Duke Snyder and Billy Williams are in, Vlad Guerrero should be in as well. But you look at the second half of his career and all the injuries he dealt with, and how he went from being the superstar to you know just kind of a dude with a big contract and it's i don't know if he is i definitely don't see him being a first in first ballot selection if he's lucky he'll he'll get through with the riders. if not you know it's going to take him to committee and yeah it's just unfortunate because yeah you know a lot of people aren't really digging into the saber metrics if they're looking at any kind of stats they're looking at simple stuff like batting average or home runs or rbis or pitcher wins or maybe strikeouts but yeah i mean this data is right at our fingertips it's not that hard to understand i mean heck i'm the kind of person who like six years ago i was making jokes about like you know the name of like you know value over replacement player vorp you know and now like it did not take that much to get me into this like it's it's really not that hard you've been listening to graham womack and give him a follow on twitter
0: at GrahamDude. dude graham thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today
1: oh it's my pleasure Ross. and any anytime you want me on here